1 Peter chapter 5. There are a couple of keys to message preparation. Kind of like flying an airplane. Two critical times. One is the takeoff and the other is landing. Most guys know how to take off. You guys know how to land. And the text that is before us today is going to give me a little trouble with takeoff. Because it's directed toward elders, pastors, bishops. I don't want this message today to seem self-serving in any way. It's the text of God's Word. I also want you to know that I know a number of my inadequacies. So what the text says today is God's plan for elders, pastors, bishops, and how God is put together, and nobody's perfect, and I'm not a nobody. Some of you will get that. As we have studied 1 Peter, we have talked about living stones. And each chapter we have given to you a theme so that you could have some bones to build our study upon. Chapter 1 reminds us that as living stones, we are indeed supposed to understand that suffering proves our faith. Chapter 2 tells us to have a testimony like Christ. Chapter 3, others are watching. Chapter 4, nothing else but God. Chapter 5, where we are today, is that elders are to serve humbly. And at the end of chapter 5, we are admonished to stand firm. So this morning, as we look at chapter 5, we want to recognize that elders are to serve humbly. Now, we're going to talk about humility next week. This is the service of elders. Now, I remind you that Paul is writing to elect exiles. Elect exiles basically in the Asia Minor area, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontius, Bithynia, Lycia. And as he has identified these elect exiles, he has called them living stones. We've talked a lot about living stones. He's, he's also recognized that they are indeed spiritual houses, bodies of believers. And in each of these areas to which he sent this letter, there were groups of individuals that needed to know that God was faithful in their lives. Now, much of the communication we get here at Calvary Baptist Church comes addressed to me. And I then look at it and read it and pass it on. We have a whole group of boxes in the fellowship hall where I stick stuff regularly. But it doesn't get stuck unless I stick it. You understand that? And so it comes across my desk. Connie slits the envelope. She doesn't even pull out the letter. She might think that there is something that's private in there that only I should read, right, Connie? And she is very confidential. She really is. She does a great job with that. So, Peter, writing to these churches, these churches in Galatia, probably sent the letter to the pastors so that it might be disseminated among the believers. And that's how it works. So it's not unusual that here in chapter 5, he would send a message to those pastors, to those elders, to those shepherds, to those bishops. 
And that is what we are going to look at this morning. As we go into 1 Peter chapter 5, we are going to understand that with leadership, with being an elder, there is responsibility. And Peter outlines those for us. I want to take time to read the text this morning, and then we're going to go back and we're going to fill it in, all right? So are you in 1 Peter chapter 5? Look with me at the first four verses. So I exalt the, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful game, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I think it's interesting here that Peter identifies himself as an elder. There's an old song, nobody's seen the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Let me tell you something. Nobody knows the trouble a pastor's seen. Nobody knows but other pastors. I said in my adult Bible fellowship class this morning that when I was young in ministry, I was very naive. And I used to say to people, I know how you feel. I don't have a clue. And I have learned that I can only imagine how most people feel as they're facing specific difficulties in in their lives. Because I haven't been there, I haven't done that, I don't know. Peter knows. He identifies himself as an elder, and so he is writing to these pastors, to these bishops, with an understanding of where they are. May I remind you that Peter was the one who was put in front at Pentecost? May I remind you that it was Peter who saw the sheet coming down and took the message to the, to the Gentiles? So, so Peter knows what he's talking about. And as I read this text, I think, man, I'm glad Peter wrote that because he understands. Actually, I'm glad that God wrote it because God understands. But God used Peter in a very special way. Now, Peter identifies himself as an elder, and he also identifies himself, look at the text, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The word witness there is an interesting word. It's the word martyr. You know, if you're going to be a witness of the sufferings of Christ, you'd better be ready to pay a price. Peter did. In fact, history tells us that he was crucified like Jesus. But not like Jesus because he was unwilling to be nailed to a cross like this. He was nailed to a cross upside down because he was unwilling to have the same standing as Christ did. Peter knew something about martyrdom. And the text tells us that because he was willing to pay a price, he was a witness. Witness of the sufferings of Christ. We read and memorized 1 Peter 3.15, right? But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Remember that one? And be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason that his hope is in you with meekness and fear. Now, we didn't memorize it that way because I just quoted it in King James. 
But the reality is, if we want to be a witness, we'd better make him number one because we're going to have to pay a price. And not only was he a witness of the suffering, he was a partaker of the glory of God. There is nothing better than being the kind of person God wants you to be. I told you on a number of occasions, my love language is words of affirmation. Somebody taps me on the head and says, you're doing a good job, and I'm just happy you camper. I'm just ready to go get them. Words of affirmation. But the words of affirmation that I'm looking forward to are the well done, you good and faithful servant, when I get to glory. And that's what Peter focused on. It will be worth it all. Amen? When we see Jesus, well done. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse, glimpse of passing understanding of his dear face. All sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. I am looking forward to being a partaker of his glory. Amen? And that's who Peter was. Peter the elder, a witness, a martyr. Yeah, it cost him something of the suffering of Christ. And he was looking forward to glory. Now, Peter identifies himself as an elder, right? And I want to ask the question this, this morning, what's an elder? Now, the word used for elder is pre presbyteros. I'm going to teach you some Greek this morning, Brent. Presbyteros. Can anyone think of a church that might be named after presbyteros? Very good, okay? Very good. And an elder is someone who, who is mature in their leadership, someone who is experienced in ministry, somebody who is entrusted with a leadership responsibility. That's what an elder does. And Peter identifies himself as an elder. Now, there are two other words in this passage of Scripture that identify this office of elder. I want you to look at them in your text. Do you see the word shepherd? You see that word? Somebody nod their head. Okay. Do you see that word oversight? Overseeing. You see that? Somebody nod their head. You with me? Okay. These two words help us understand what an elder is to do. The word shepherd is the word that we translate pastor. The only time the word pastor is used in the New Testament, it's used in Ephesians chapter 4 where it identifies people that God gave to the church, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers for the building up of the body of Christ. And the responsibility of the pastor is leading and feeding and heeding the word of God to share with people. Now, none of you have ever called me Elder Tom. None of you have ever called me Bishop Tom. But many of you call me Pastor Tom, and that's great. Every once in a while, I have somebody say to me, what do you want me to call you? When Connie asks me that, I say, your majesty. 
She doesn't, but that's what I would like. <laughs> what I would respond to is, is, is I say, Tom is who I am, pastor's what I do. There are some guys who I identify as pastor, and, and if, if they didn't have pastor in front of their name, they, they wouldn't know who it was. But pastor is a responsibility that is given to elders. And Paul identifies that in this passage. Overseer, do you see that? That's the word episcopeo. Do you know any churches that are named after this Greek word, episcopeo? Episcopalia, very good. And, it, and frankly, if you look at presbyteros and episcopeo, you will discover that their hierarchy has to do with being mature and being an administrator, and that's what a bishop does. Now, there's one other passage of Scripture, and it's found in Acts. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. Found in Acts chapter 20, where these three titles are used of this office. And I think these titles identify who these elders are. They're to be mature. I'm working on that. They're to shepherd. And they're to be overseers. And Peter reminds the leaders of these churches in Asia Minor, hey guys, this is your responsibility. This is what you're doing. This is how you're supposed to handle things. Now, the qualifications for pastor, elder, and bishop are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. We're not going to go there either. But as you read those qualifications, the thing about those, the remarkable things about those qualifications is that they're so unremarkable. It's really just Christian character that we all should have. But Paul to Timothy and to Titus, writes out what God requires of those who serve in these offices. You have that? Now, what's a pastor to do? Are you still in 1 Peter chapter 5? Shepherd the flock of God. What's that mean? Not many of us know much about shepherding. I think it interesting that God calls his people sheep. The hundredth psalm said, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He doesn't call them cattle. Because cow pokers and shepherds do things differently. You understand that, right? He doesn't call them horses. Because horses and cattle and sheep act differently. He calls them sheep. Now, sheep are interesting critters. Oh, cute little woolly things. You see them bite my tongue. Things I'm thinking about thinking, saying that I'm not going to. Sheep are Sheep need care. If you don't believe that, read the 23rd Psalm. Hmm? 
Can we try to quote that this morning? I was thinking about that through the week, and I said, dare, dare I do this? Let's try it. Let's give it a shot, okay? I'll, I'll, I'll try not to mix it up. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give yourself a hand. Did well. (laughs) That was pathetic. (laughs) But did you note that in that passage of Scripture, what sheep need? They need lead beside the still waters. Their souls need restored. They need lead in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. When they're going from high pastures to low pastures, summer pastures to to winter pastures, they walk through some valleys in their lives. God anoint ahead. Let me give you a book. Philip Keller has written a book about shepherding sheep. And he looks at this passage of Scripture, Psalm 23, from the eyes of a shepherd, and all of the responsibilities that the shepherd has to accomplish these things. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Shepherding is a 24-7, 365 responsibility. You never get away from it. That's okay. Because that's the calling of a shepherd. And Peter says, shepherd the church of God. You know something else about shepherds? And I'll have it on the slides pretty soon. Shepherds ought to smell like sheep. Think about it. Hmm? Because they've been with the sheep. So shepherd the ecclesia, the church of God. And then he says, giving oversight. Bishop, episcopate, oh. The oversight that's necessary for the church of God reminds us that there is indeed some responsibility. And in 1 Timothy and Titus chapter 1, where the qualifications of the pastor are, it says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, episcopal, he desires a good thing. Doesn't say it's an easy thing, he says it's a good thing. And the responsibility of giving oversight is huge. Shepherd needs to give oversight as to how the flock is eating. That's doctrine. Shepherd needs to give oversight in how the flock is exercising. That's giving out the gospel. 
shepherd needs to give oversight in how the flock is cared for. The shepherd needs to give oversight to the flock as things change around them. He needs to give oversight in keeping the main thing the main thing. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke with all long suffering. So how's this to take place? How's an elder to do this? Well, the text tells us. There are three parallels that are given here. Starting with a negative and then a positive. And they have to do with the spirit of ministry, the motivation of ministry, and the style of ministry. Are you in the text? Look at it, will you please? The end of verse 2 says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. The spirit of ministry is a voluntary ministry as God would have you do that. You remember earlier in 1 Peter we looked at hospitality and doing it without grumbling. Well, the ministry of the shepherd needs to be a, a ministry that isn't of compulsion but voluntarily. I signed up for this thing. Every once in a while some of you will come to me and say, I don't have a clue how you do what you do. And I'll say, I don't know either. And it's true. But the reason I do what I do is because God's called me to it. There are a lot of times that I go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read this very short verse that says, Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Because I am incapable of fulfilling the responsibility that God has given to me on my own terms, in my own energy, with my own wisdom. But nobody forced me into it. And so, shepherd the church of God with the spirit of not under compulsion, but willingly. And also, not for money, but eagerly. Do you see that at the end of the verse also? It says, not for filthy lucre. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Not for shameful gain, according to ESV, but eagerly. You know what? You don't make a lot of money in this position. You're aware of that, right? Somebody said, I don't make a lot of money, but the retirement plan's out of this world. And it is. But I'm not doing it for the money. Connie and I can give testimony how time after time God has been faithful to us and met our needs. I heard of one church that had a little prayer. said, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. <laughs> that is not true at Calvary Baptist Church. And I am thankful for that. But you don't do it for the money. But eagerly, because it's a privilege to be vocational in service. You know, we're all full-time Christians. We got any part-time Christians here? Now think about it. Are any of you part-time Christians? If you are, you're in trouble. We're all full-time Christians. We've been saved by faith and grace and Christ. Amen? 
And aren't you glad that God never takes a day off? I'm a full-time Christian that just happens to be vocational in my Christian service. And it is a privilege. It is a joy. And my style? What's it say? Not domineering, but being an example to the flock. I was talking with a gentleman just two days ago. Church in the South, he is the administrative pastor of that church. I was asking about the lead pastor who is going through some real physical difficulties right now on oxygen 24-7, only preaching Sunday mornings and struggling with that, looking to put in place a succession plan for the pastor, the senior pastor, the lead pastor's ministry. And Ron said to me, Even though he's not, Eddie is his name, even though Eddie is not able to fulfill his responsibility, people at the church still know who's the boss. Boss. I didn't see that as one of the titles, did you? You remember what Paul said to Timothy, let no man despise your youth but be an example of the believers? Remember that one? And I have a responsibility not to be the boss, but to be the example. Every once in a while, somebody will come up and say to me, boy, you always get your way, don't you? No. That doesn't even happen at home. Yeah, Connie's playing the violin for me now. But that's the style. That's the style of ministry. Not domineering, not lording over, but an example. Told you I'm not perfect. Paul was. As Paul said, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. I wish I could say that legitimately but I'm working on it. And what's a pastor to expect? Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, who is that? Who is it? Jesus, right? He is the head of the church. It's not the deacons. It's not the pastor. It's not those who have been around the longest. Christ is the head of the church. Amen? And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you, elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow! If you're not a bishop, if you're not an elder, if you're not a pastor, you don't get this one. This is just for pastors. Now, there are other crowns. There is the imperishable crown. That's for self-discipline in our lives. There is the crown of rejoicing. That's for winning souls. There is the crown of righteousness. That's for those who love his appearing. 
There's the crown of life, and that's for those who endure trials. So there are crowns for all of us. But the crown of glory is for shepherding, giving oversight to the church of Jesus Christ. Now this is one of those messages that you wonder, what do I do with this? It's in the text. God's word is written for our admonition. It's written to build us up, to help us grow. What what do I do with this? Let me give you some ideas. What do I do with it? As an elder, a shepherd, a bishop. Well, first thing I do with it is recognize that I have some responsibilities. I need to focus on methods, being a shepherd, being an example. And as I said earlier, shepherds ought to smell like sheep. You can't do this from a distance. Every once in a while, I'll get into somebody's life, and I'll say, where do you go to church? And they'll say, well, I watch so-and-so on TV. That so-and-so on TV can't get involved in your life, won't get involved in your life. Shepherds need to smell like sheep. I need to focus on my manner, not for, but, the spirit with which I do things, the motivation, the style of my ministry. And I need to focus on the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, as we all do, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of of our faith. So, that's my challenge. What about your challenge? What, what, What do you need to do? What can you do to build up the church of Christ? Well, let me just suggest a few things. Number one, make sure that you understand the God-given responsibility of the elder, shepherd, bishop. That helps. That takes care of some unrealistic expectations. Understand that. Also, Recognize how you can make these responsibilities a little easier. You do know that the pastor is not omnipresent, right? You do know that the pastor is not omniscient. You you know that, right? And you do know that the pastor is not omnipotent, leaping tall buildings with a single bound, faster than a speeding bullet, Not there, right? So, you can be places I can't be to minister to people. Do it. When you know something, assume I don't let me know, will you please? May I share a frustration with you? A frustration of mine, and and, 
this isn't going to be a very good example. Going to the hospital to visit somebody, getting back to my office and getting a call that so-and-so is in the hospital where I just was, but they've been there for 48 hours. Sure would have been nice to have had a twofer. Not omniscient. Assume I don't know. Let me know. And recognize that you can impact lives. It's not just the preacher. It's all of our responsibility to share Christ with a lost and dying world. Amen? It's all of our responsibility to put our arms around people who are struggling in this old world. It's all of our responsibilities to pray for one another. And that leads me to the last one. You want to encourage me? Pray for me. That's what you can do. I told you that one of the challenges of a message is landing the plane. We've flown around this airfield quite a bit this morning. And I want to land the plane this way. I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads. And I'm going to ask that every one of us ask God to help us be an effective part of this body we call Calvary Baptist Church. And that God would just get glory. That's all we want. So can we do that, please? Let's just bow our heads and ask God to use us for his glory.